Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And then this chimp came and attacked me, and it was horrendous. See, I'd always seen that as me just having a bit of a scrap with the chimp and the mm. doing it. You know what I mean? As you do. But this is like, I felt the horror, the absolute, I was screaming, you know, and this chimp was coming at me, attacked me. I was losing my life. I can remember, you know, my life was flashing in front of me, especially when the chimp started biting me, biting chunks out of me and stuff like that. And then it almost, it stopped. And a voice in my head went, what would have happened if you'd never fought back? So I went into that concept of not fighting back and I lay there and I died. Welcome to The Andy Rowe Show. In just my second episode ever, I interviewed Ollie Ollerton, and it remains our most popular episode yet, wall to wall with entertaining and outrageous stories. In this episode, we've got more stories like what happened when he tripped out on an Arawashka retreat, and how former rugby league star Sam Burgess went rogue on SAS Australia. But we're also going to go deep and find out how he picked himself up and manifested a business idea into a successful reality. Plus, you're going to find out why he's telling me I need to burn some bridges in my own life. I hope you enjoy the episode. The great thing about having my own podcast is I get to choose who sponsors the podcast. Pat Coffee is without a doubt the best homemade coffee I've ever had. And they're offering all my listeners, that's you, a free V60 kit worth 11 quid when you check out using the code ROW. Pat Coffee not only tastes great in my mocha pot, they're also the good guys that pay the farmers what it's worth. They buy direct from the farmers so you know it's fresh and it's top quality. Plus they won Great Taste 2020 and 2021. It took me about two minutes to create a plan and I get fresh coffee automatically through my letterbox every couple of weeks. Make a pact to make better coffee. If you haven't tried pack coffee yet, we'll help you get started with a free V60 kit with your first order and a new packed plan. Go to packedcoffee.com, that's P-A-C-T coffee.com, create your flexible coffee subscription, enter the code ROW at the checkout, and get specialty coffee through your letterbox. Don't wait, go to packedcoffee.com and create your coffee subscription, and the code is valid when you create a packed coffee plan for new customers only. Oli Ollerton, thanks for coming on the show again. Again. I know. I'm sorry, I tried to do it in your accent. <laughs> you did, I, I, I picked up on that late. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, it's a pleasure to be on again, mate. And uh, thank you for coming to the wonderful Breakpoint HQ. I was just saying before, off here, it's like a bit harder. It was a bit harder to prep for this one because the last episode we did, I listened back to it and it was just like back to back, like the best yarns, the story yeah. after story after story, yeah. action, 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 action hilarity all the way through and then i was like how am i going to do this one obviously i read your, your second book mm. is that one breakpoint no the second one the first one was breakpoint uh, so that battle was already, battle yeah. already is your so second the, one yeah the first one was the autobiography you know yeah. the foundation of who i am second one with was all battle the stories ready, battle ready, yeah. yeah 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 so yeah. battle ready was the 
you know, when I put myself into that house, 2014, it's a process right. I put myself through, process of change. Yeah, that's crazy because you were, you'd gone through your military career by that stage. Mm. Uh, then you'd gone to Australia. Mm. You were getting on the juice big time, yeah. like drinking a lot, addicted to Valium. Mm. And steroids. Ste- you're on the roids. What, yeah, I was when, when we got to Iraq as a contractor. You imagine that alpha male world. Yeah. You know, there was so much of that stuff going around and, you know, you could get anything in Iraq. But yeah, I, I was dabbling in that. So it's not the best cocktail for your mindset. No. Valium, alcohol and steroids. And actually, I thought about this the other day, you know, I think the worst out of all those drugs was um, alcohol. The hardest to, to stop, for sure. It's got such a big social aspect to it, doesn't it? Mm, it is. It is. But... You know, I'm no longer that person that needs to rent a personality. So, there, there are so many people that uh, wake up on a Sunday and you're like, "I'm not doing that again." That's the easiest time to give up. You're like, "I'm not doing that again." Then Friday rolls around, you're like, "The social aspect it gets you." Yeah, and also 100%. like, because I was reading when I was reading Battle Ready and I was going through, I was like, "Could I, could I give up alcohol?" And then I think about like. You have so many associ- associations of good times with it. Mm. It's like having a beer with your old man or like having a beer when you catch up with your mates. Yeah. And so to give that up, it's mm. such a big step and yeah. it's such a big like bang decision to make. It's quite a strong decision. It, it is, but it's, it's, that's the mental aspects of it because at the end of the day, you know, that's why that says short-term discomfort, long-term gain because mm. the opposite of that is exactly how we're wired as humans. And that is short-term comfort that leads to long-term pain. And let's face it, I mean, you know, I got to that point in my life where I started, you know, and everything, everything in my life, including my wife. Mm. <laughs> I have to understand the purpose. I have to understand the purpose of everything that's in my life because I have spent a lot of time sort of bouncing around, not having a clue who I am, really, bouncing around for a lot of my life. It was only 43 when I really sort of started looking internally for who I was. So I'm making the most of every every moment, you know, and that's the the fact of the matter is I'll look at everything. What's the purpose in this? What was the purpose in alcohol for me? And that's why in that book, you know, it's about the purpose pyramid, alcohol in the middle. You imagine a pyramid, three questions. Do I enjoy it? Does it add growth? Does it help others? If you can't tick one of those, in fact, if every one of those is across, why is it in your life? Mm. You know, I mean, that was that for me. Yeah. Do I enjoy alcohol? Yep. Short term, but not long term. But you know, a lot of people, it's just your mind that locks you into that. Oh, I couldn't do without it. You, you know, at the end of the day, I was thinking about this again. I'm always thinking, always thinking. But it's like, it's the why. It's the why. If you haven't got a strong why, then you're going to focus on the how. If you focus on the how, you're never going to get anywhere. Because it's the why that pulls you through the hardship. You know what I mean? For me, why did I give up coffee? You know, I've, I've got to have a reason why coffee alcohol everything i've got a strong why that's pulling me through and if you don't go through that process with anything you want to achieve you ain't going to achieve it it's fact you can be pulled back into your repeat habit loop of nothing you know in your comfort zone and that's the way the the brain is wide to 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 keep you in that locked in that repetitive cycle you haven't always had all this knowledge and one of the Mm. one of the things you did and you alluded to it before is you locked yourself in the cabin for three months Mm almost a circuit breaker between old Ollie getting yeah. on the booze, Valium, all that kind mm. of stuff, and then clean, wise mm. Ollie came out the back end yeah. of it almost. What did you do in the cabin? Yeah, well, let's look at it first. Why did I do that? Because you know what? I was absolutely sick of me. 
I was sick of myself. You know, I created this identity of who I was, which wasn't the real me. You know, I built this perception of part, you know, I like to have a, everyone sort of goes through that phase, don't they? Party boy, you know, wild times mm. and all that kind of thing. And I just got, I got absolutely sick of me. I was so sick of me and I knew that I needed to make those changes. Now, the only reason I came back to the UK, which is I said I'd never do, I'd never come back. The reason I did is because I had this all of a sudden strong desire to come. When I woke up one day, three o'clock in the morning, Thursday morning, and I questioned, why don't you want to go back to the UK? And immediately, you know, straight away, my natural knee-jerk reaction is, I'm never going back, never going back. But then when I started to think about it more, those sort of barriers collapsed and I opened up to the idea. As soon as I did, it was almost like I had this good feeling factor that was just suddenly released and it just made perfect sense to me. Now, I came back to start my business, Breakpoint. Mm. I got a strong desire to do that. I don't know what it was. You know, all of a sudden I had this desire to start a company that was helping others. I've analyzed this a lot, right, and taken it right back to the point where I went through my hardest moment and that was when I crashed and burned. When I came back from Thailand, I was at my lowest ebb. I finally found something that was truly my purpose in life and that was helping other people a life in service of others i stumbled over that and then all of a sudden it crashed and burnt overnight but it gave me exactly what was needed the value of helping other people and i paid for that operation in thailand but it's the best return on investment i've ever had Mm. for me to come back you know and then when i crashed and burned and and i've thought you know I'm, i'm digressing a bit as i do no keep going but I've analysed what happens. What you know? What? Why do people? Why? Why is there a lot of people? Not everyone, but why is there a lot of people that have had to crash and hit the ground really hard before they find out who they truly are, to find out their true purposes in life, and to really flourish in life? Why do they have to hit the ground hard for that? And I truly believe this is it. The fact of the matter is, you get to the point when you can no longer blame the external world. You can't blame other people. You can't blame the environment. You can't blame anything else, and you're forced to look at yourself Mm. internally and that all along is where the answers are you know and that for me in that moment of you know absolute despair i've talked about it before that you know there was suicidal thoughts again i'd never tried it never attempted but when you're at that level you've got to understand that you've got to do something about it a lot of people will not know that they're at rock bottom Mm. that's the problem and maybe that's where there's also a gap because Mm. so if i look at my situation at the moment i was telling you about this where I am putting everything into my podcast now. Yeah. So I'm, I've left a, a monthly salary. I got married at the start of the year. So there's the added pressure of, you know, yeah. naturally, like, you know, you don't want to be a chauvinist about it, but you do have to provide. You know, if you're a man, you feel there's pressure. There's pressure there. If, you know, if there's babies coming at some mm. point, you have to have that steady income. Yeah. But then at the moment, like, I'm just like, banging away trying to get sponsors trying to get people Mm. on board trying to get people to invest in me invest in what i do you know there are those added pressures that i don't even know what i'm saying anymore maybe i know what you're saying (laughs) i know what you're saying yeah no absolutely and 100 i think you know at the end of the day what you've done is you've you've that's a break point that typifies what our business is all about break point is a disruptive change in habitual behavior in line with a predetermined goal what you're going through is that disruptive change of it's your horrible, habitual. man. It like, is horrible. Like everyone thinks, oh yeah, yeah it's great that you're doing just podcasting. That's yeah. the dream. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it was the dream. It's been the dream. But the yeah. reality is a lot fucking different. Yeah. Like but this is the time. This is exactly the time where nine times out of ten, nine out of ten people fail because they're so, they, they can't handle that discomfort of change. And the easiest thing to do is put a band-aid on and go straight back into your comfort zone. Go back to that security. Go back to that safety. 
you know, one thing, you know, that a lot of people say never burn your bridges. I believe that in some circumstances, but sometimes you have to make sure all fucking bridges are burnt. So you only have one option and that is exactly where you want to be. That makes so much sense. It's quite funny, isn't it? Because you actually do, there's that natural thing to not want to burn your bridges. Mm, you just yeah. want to keep every option open. Yeah. Every, you know, every, even, even the bank of mum and dad, if you can. Exactly, yeah. You want to provide that security. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, as soon as times get tough, it doesn't feel comfortable. You know, you're going to go through some hardship where, you know, the money's not flowing as nicely. And, you know, it's, it's not, it's, you're struggling to get through and everything is going to want to send you back into that habitual behavior, that comfort zone Mm. where yeah you might be getting financially rewarded for it but it's not offering you any growth whatsoever you're yeah. just caught in that repeat habit loop so really you know you've got to embrace that if you believe in it if you believe in yourself you believe in it you've got passion for what you want to do you add repetition to that which is the first law of success you will smash it it's the repetition that you get that you got from being in the special forces that that gives you a leg up though as well it doesn't it because you know yeah. if you follow these processes you'll get through a tough situation and that's the word there mate process you know what i mean because if we listen to emotion you ain't going to get anywhere there's too much going on in here anyway and basically uh, we're wired to embrace failure more than we are success you know at the end of the day our minds are built for survival and not success so look at the survival mindset what does that do a number of things first of all average is okay you know to the survival mind you imagine the survival mind and we're living still in that primal instinct that caveman style if you want to call it that or whatever but we're still in that primal instinct just doing okay is brilliant in survival isn't it because yeah. you're used to doing absolutely shit and yeah. worrying for your life and not eating and everything so you, you can just chill yeah and that yeah. is the majority that's 98 percent of the world you know averages winning oh everything's just okay i'm in a good place but you're not challenging yourself whatsoever. You're not doing things that really complement what your purpose is in life. And that's not what life is all about. We're put on this earth to do more than eat, breathe, sleep and repeat and work and repeat. You know what I mean? We were put on this earth to experience, to really push the bar, to really step into that short-term discomfort and experience as many things as possible. And do you want to be that person on, on your deathbed going, I wish I'd have done. I wish I'd have done that. Mm. should have done that. I'm not going to be. How do you get on when you, because you speak to a lot of corporates and stuff, mm. you can't you can't be going in and telling people to leave their jobs and chase their dreams when you're speaking to big companies, can you? No, no, not at all. But the thing is, a lot of time, it's all in the reframing. It's all in the reframing. A lot of people, right? I said to this, I was I was working at, um, last night, I was working, working, I was, I don't call it working really in its typical term, but I was doing a presentation for the administration staff for Lincoln University and it was a great presentation. But the thing is, I said to you, if I met any one of you out in a pub somewhere, it wouldn't be a pub because I don't drink. But <laughs> Do you even go near pubs or not? Yeah, I do from time to time, but I don't, you know, at the end of the day, it's not, you know, I have no reason to go to a pub anymore. Yeah. But anyway, you know, it's that thing that um, if I was to bump into anyone, wherever it was, and I said to them, what do you do? What, what, what's your job? Now, the majority, you imagine someone in the admin department would say, oh, well, I'll do all the, I'm an admin assistant, and I do, 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 and it would sound so monotonous and boring, it would absolutely, you know, you'd lose the will to live by the time she finished the sentence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because you could feel that, like, just that, no energy in it whatsoever. But admin roles are the stereotypical safe, safe like role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the thing is, yeah, okay, if you allow that to be your MO, and that is your kind of mantra. This is what, you know, and you're getting up on a Monday morning thinking, I'm just doing this to pay the bills. I've got no passion and joy whatsoever. I said to them all last night, you've got to start thinking about what you do in the service of others. 
because you are helping people take that next step in their lives to higher education and you're helping people to basically take that big step into the real world. If you started reframing your job and thinking about how you serve other people, that changes everything. Mm. You know what I mean? And that's why it's so important. You know, a lot of stuff we do at Breakpoint is about when we talk to corporates, is about really getting that corporate message, that mission statement, that purpose statement, whatever it is to really be strong and everyone to know it and understand your mantra. Because that, I tell you what, that's when my life changed massively. I left the military. I had no money. I think I spent most of my career in the military just trying to live. I think I was at that stage of my life where I thought working was just to pay for a social life. Yeah. I thought that's yeah, the only yeah, reason yeah. you did it. So I wanted to make my job as cool as possible to pay for that social life. Yeah. I didn't pick the easiest job in the world, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it was cool. You really want cool. people to think you're cool. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> which was the, the, the thing. But so when I left, it wasn't about creating something that made me feel like I had this massive sense of purpose. It wasn't something that made me, to make me feel settled and fulfilled. It was money, 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 money. Mm. But the thing is, you know, I went off there and I was doing a few bits and bobs. Then I ended up in Iraq. I was earning an absolute fortune. But because I hadn't changed my mindset, I was still living a poor man's life. You know, I got loads of money, but before I knew it, I had none left all the time because I hadn't changed my mindset. Just money spanking was, your way on yeah, those and Absolutely. Drugs. Houses, you know, women, every, Vegas, whatever, you, you know, the whole lot, everything. I did all those. I've got those checklists. You know what I mean? The bucket list is done. Can you remember like your biggest blowout of like how much you spent? You go, so you went to Vegas. It must have been Vegas. Vegas. Well, I got married in Vegas. That was a bit of a oh, mistake. Of course you did. Yeah. yeah. It got annulled. So how I don't count it in the uh, list of marriages. <laughs> How quickly did it get annulled? Oh, no, it took a couple of months, actually. But, yeah, it was, I mean, it's not like I, I didn't meet the girl in in Vegas and then say, let's get married. But, it's you know. It's a cooler story if you did. Just yeah, go yeah, I'll just go with it. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it was it was after that. You know, I, I was going through some, some real severe mental health issues. Yeah. But um, my point is that until I actually found Breakpoint, because until I was doing that, bouncing around the world, earning loads of money, spending loads of money, still had no money. It was crazy. And then it wasn't until I did that operation in Thailand where I, you know, I stumbled across the power of helping other people. And that would then, although it ended overnight because of the political situation, that was the turning point for me because I understood that then became the passion. The passion for me was in the driving seat then, the power of helping other people. The money becomes the byproduct and that changed everything. Money was no longer in control. Yeah. You know what I mean? That changes everything. Once you have a passion and desire for something that you want to achieve and you put that in the driving seat, it changes the whole everything. So the point I make going back to the university is the fact that a lot of people are living in that sort of mundane life. And it's not a case that, right, just get up and leave, you know, leave the job, find something else. Because if they do that, they'll just take the problems to the next company with them. Mm. It's not the job they need to change. It's themselves they need to change. Again, like I did when I fell down, it's about looking internally. They're the changes you need to make. Otherwise, you just drag the... It's like a relationship. You just drag the problems from one relationship to the next. So really, it's about reframing the situation. A lot of people say, oh, I can't... You know, I've got bills. I've got this. Da, da, da. Reframe it. If anyone's asked yourself this question, what are you doing in the service of others? I think it's such a strong question because we should all have a view to doing something in the service of others. As soon as we do something in the service of others, we are absolutely rewarded tenfold. And we should be. It's like any kind of animal, you know, helping its fellow species to flourish in the world. We're just helping another species flourish in this environment. Mm. You know, so when you can actually reflect and, and, and like your job, Annie, what do, what do podcasts do? Entertain people. Entertain, Inform inspire, people. motivate. You know, there's a whole load yeah. of stuff. When you start to think about that, 
that is your mo that's the reason you're doing it everything else will, will dovetail nicely in feel like I'm speaking to the DS at the moment. This is, this is awesome. <laughs> you, where's those hoods? Yeah, God! Don't, don't put the hood on. Please don't put the hood on. Oh, you're quite a spiritual dude. And like one of the big moments in your spiritual journey, if you like, was going to South America. Mm. It's something that I've, I've had. A, I had a friend that did that as well. And he, he went and he was suffering from anxiety. Mm. He, he uh, had a business and he was a he's a very successful businessman but part of that i think is probably that his anxiety kind of almost drove that right? yeah. drove him to be successful but he went to south america and did the arroshka as well mm. i would be interested to hear your experience because it kind yeah. of relates to the the chimp story i, I won't mm. get you to tell the whole chimp story we didn't talk again. about this last time did we i don't, I don't think, think we so. i don't think had i been though i had been because yeah i mean that was just for me just such an, a, a phenomenal experience and really ayahuasca really confirmed to me we are part of something far far bigger it made me understand that the pro programming that we're all subject to is so intense that it really inhibits the power of who we are as humans and the expanse of the mind is just infinite absolutely infinite i mean for me going there i didn't know what to expect you know i'm in a good place mm. so i'm thinking but i also went oh, you're I went, on top of things yeah on top of things yeah i was yeah. at that point yeah so i thought so i thought you know, I went with a load of veterans, you know, from all over the world that's suffering all kinds of PTSD issues. I went with a, an organization called the Heroic Hearts Project. So, yeah, I'm a trustee of that charity. They're starting to, to, to bring that exposure. To, they've just done their first retreat, actually, in Peru. Yeah, so that went. That was an absolute success. But I went there with a load of other people, and they've obviously got issues, that, you know, real issues that are at, the, at, the, at its peak. And I'd resolved a lot of stuff. Yeah. Well, everything. I'd resolved everything. I was in a good place. So when I went to see the shaman, you have to go for a bit of an interview, if you call it that, just a chat with the shaman. You know, they ask you what you're in. You've got to have an intention. What What do you want to resolve? So the shaman is kind of like the person leading this Yeah, leading retreat. this. You know, I hate to call it a doctor because he's far more experienced and uh, knowledgeable than the doctor. But basically, they're leading the experience. So, you know, what do you, you know, what is it you want to resolve? And when I went up, I was just like, I had to I had to dig for something. You know, it, it was the fact I just went, well, I really want to get rid of that self-destruct button. So regardless of what happens in my life, it's never even there. It's not even an option. That's the only thing I could think about. And I just mm. went, and, you know, I think I've bit, got a bit of unfinished business with the, with the chimp. <laughs> just slipped it in there, just thinking yeah. that's not going to happen. And then anyway, we, we did the first experience and that was quite disappointing but the thing is, they have to limit the amount. It's just a test. The first session is a test just to see what your tolerance levels are like. And I came away thinking, uh, some people saying, oh, that was unbelievable. I was like, mm, maybe it's not going to work on me. stronger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then I went into the second session the next night. You have a debrief the next day. You talk about stuff. Next night I went in. They upped the dose. Right. <laughs> oh, Here we go. Yeah, absolutely. I got on that flipping train, that psychedelic crazy train. You know, when you start, I mean, it's a hallucinogenic, you know, it's plant medicine, hundreds and maybe even more of years old. You're loose, like, you know, you're not asleep. It's no. not like a general anesthetic where you're gone mm. to dreamland or no. anything. Like, you're, you're awake, right? Yeah. But you're seeing stuff. You're seeing visions, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And you, exactly. When you first come up on it, it's like you're sat in this thing called a maloka, a massive, big, round sort of jungle hut. 
and you've got the sound of the jungle and everything you've got everything you do you do the sessions at night and you've got a bed that you can lay down on, you can sit up on you can do whatever on basically and the shaman one of the the shaman comes around and starts singing the you know the sort of spiritual songs to draw out all the bad and stuff honestly it's quite a, quite an experience <sighs> Yeah, you're and, um, feeling a little bit vulnerable at that point. You? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You want to see this, um, uh, and they're, they're actually when she's singing, she's singing, but then she's drawing out the, the the bad energy from you, and she spits it out into a bucket. She's spitting out that energy. Whoa. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So basically, when you know, and, and that's going on, and then when I start to you know feel it sort of going on the journey, you know, everything starts. The whole world around me starts to be this like all this geometry, all this lit geometry and all these shapes and figuring out it's crazy. You think you're Picasso all of a sudden. Right? Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was, it was. And you just think, whoa, this is intense. Massive reflection for me straight away was, you know, you start to reflect on your life. You start to reflect on the things, the things that really empower your life. And especially for me at that time, you know, I've started to be in the public eye and started to be, obviously massive presence on Instagram and social media and everything else. And I had this real reflection as soon as I started going into thinking about how much we waste putting all our energy into creating the perception of happiness. We create this separate entity away from us that is not the real us, but it's the perception of someone mm. who is happy. You know, we, we're quite happy to sacrifice our own mental health, our own well-being to create a perception of someone that looks good for everyone else and you just keep going back for the dopamine hit yeah uh, <laughs> exactly just, yeah exactly but the thing is the problem there is and that's always going to be the case but the thing is what social media does it amplifies that so before you know it, there's a lot of people out there that actually put so much energy energy into the perception of this person they're creating that they end up being the byproduct and when you have that misbalance that's not a great place to be. You're putting all your energy into something that's not really you. And the real you is the person that's hidden in the corner, you know, behind closed doors in a depressed state, probably crying, you know, in, in a state of trauma. And really, you know, that will always be there. It's, you know, no one puts all their dirty washing out for everyone to see. That's mm. fact. But the fact of the matter is you can't let that be, again be in the driving seat. That can't be the primary. Let's go back to your... your uh, Ayahuasca. Yeah, Ayahuasca. Yeah, yeah. So basically, I, you know, I'm starting to go in, down that journey with the Ayahuasca. It was almost like then I came up against these doors. And it was almost like the doors were different circumstances in my life, different aspects of my life, people or circumstances that I could have gone in that door. And I, it was almost like I was waiting to be drawn to one of them. And I went to one and I was drawn into it. As I went through the door, it became very clear where I was going. And that was back to the circus. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. You know what I mean? Because that's that one thing. When it comes to trauma, when it happens, we have a, this survival instinct that helps us get through the situation. We're able to lock away that intimate trauma. And that helps us get through the short term. Mm. But to keep it locked away is the worst thing you can do. And that, for me created such fear such a, a great amount of fear to go through that door and think i'm gonna have to go in and unlock that trauma but the thing is unless i actually did committed to that i'd never resolve my issues with it and for me going into that door is like one thing you have to do with ayahuasca and it's a hard word especially for anyone especially for, for someone in the military special forces and that is surrender I was fighting. I was fighting it, fighting it. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to go. I didn't want to do it. Didn't want to do it. And then just the voice just went, surrender. 
just surrender to it, allow what's going to happen. Ayahuasca goes to where it's needed, not where you want it to go. Right. So, you know, you have to surrender to it. The more you fight, the more trauma you cause yourself. And you don't resolve it. You know, you don't go and resolve it. I ended up actually becoming the 10-year-old boy. I was there in the circus. And this is like for real. Just to give a quick backstory. Yeah. So when... You were 10 years old. Yeah. Burton on Trent, was it? Burton on Trent. The, the, well done. The, the circus arrived. You yeah. You were off for a swim. The circus arrived in town. Uh, you went in and you saw a little baby chimp. Yeah. And you started playing with it and uh, it was a really nice moment. Yeah. And then mama chimp or daddy chimp came yeah. in, attacked you, almost ripped your arm off. You got gangrene. Yeah, yeah. So very traumatic when you're 10 mm. years old and you can't remember anything before you're 10. No. Correct. Correct. So, and then I'm back there as a 10 year old boy and I'm looking over this, you know, the, the baby chimp and I'm remembering that. I mem- remember the bliss of that. And then I hear the roar. And you imagine, right, what's happening to me. It's quite funny when I look back at this because everyone told when we had the debrief the next day. So we're sat there on this, on these, I had all these mattresses each. Mm. And I ended up, I was started, I was cross legged by this time. What, you were cross-legged? I was cross-legged sitting on my mat, so I'm, I'm sat upright. That's how you start, or is that how you ended up? No, that's how you start. Oh, you right. know, you yeah. can lie down, oh, but I was I was sat up while I was going through this. And anyway, so I'm, the, I'm going back into the story. I'm the 10-year-old 10 10 year boy, and this blissful moment, unbelievable, sun shining, so gorgeous, mm. timeless, absolutely timeless. And then I hear the roar. Oh, God. The roar of the beast, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like I can remember looking up. I thought I was like going, oh my God, I'm going to get attacked. You know, I went through that same absolute fear on the day. You know, it was, it was, it was horrendous. But the thing is, you know, it was almost taking me back to that because, the, the, you know, like I say, you lock away that intimate trauma. And what that was doing for me all through my life was it wasn't really letting me show me what I went through on that day. When I was on ayahuasca, I was feeling the terror, the absolute horrendous terror that I felt that day. So you're properly addressing it. Yeah, fully immersive, like going back there for the first time since I was 10. Something really weird happened at that point. I thought, oh no, the chimp's going to come and attack me. And then all of a sudden, I end up becoming the chimp. (laughs) Yeah. What? So I then become the chimp. And I'm honestly, (laughs) by this stage, right, I am on my mat in the Maloka. My feet have sort of roll backwards my fists are into the floor at the front like a chimp i'm feeling the hair everything on my back i'm feeling the leaves drop off my back because i've been laying on the floor in the summer heat i'm feeling everything i feel i am the animal and i'm looking at me over my baby and it's almost like i've got this computer screen like terminator and it's going looking at me going threat 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 and it's absolutely crazy but i've and i'm roaring in the Maloka, there's everyone else there going through their experiences, and I'm roaring like the chimp. I am the chimp. I, I you're you're like actually making the roaring. I'm making the roaring noises, everything. And I am the chimp, and I'm like <laughs> like a proper chimp on the on the mat. Yeah, it was absolutely crazy. And then I thought, yeah, well, you know, it's going to go in for the attack now. And it was like I, went, I became the chimp and everything. I was looking at the situation, saw the threat. You know, I was, I was about to come on my attack, and it didn't happen. And then it's almost I came out of that experience. It didn't go into that attack and then it started me reflecting it stopped it right there and it started me reflecting and i then started to think about i started to have a major compassion for the chimp see all the time all the way through my life and i didn't talk about it for a lot of years but all the time i did talk about it it was all about me being the victim poor mm. on me poor on me you know and that's what we do as humans we're the brilliant victims if we're given the opportunity to do so 
poor me, poor me, it happened to me. And then it made me realize I stepped into the chimp's enclosure. Yeah. It didn't come looking for me. You know what I mean? So it took me out of being the victim. It made me part of the bigger picture. And it made me feel so much compassion for that chimp and what it must have seen that day. You know what I mean? Me being a threat to its to its young, which yeah. which is what any mother, it was a female in the end, I think, but any mother would do to protect its young. I then started to look at that in the rest of my life. And I then started to think about my now wife, Laura, and her relationship with her son. And it started making me feel so much more compassion for her and what she has to go through while living with me while she's got her son. You know, William was only he was 11 back then, 10 or 11. Lovely kid. I mean, I'm yeah, no, he's, yeah. he's fantastic. And it made me then understand that I'd been putting a lot of pressure on Laura, you know, the business, this, that, and the other, perform the business, you know, almost like that was the primary role. And it made me understand that that's, whether it's a conscious thought for her or not, that is never going to be her primary role. William is always going to be her primary role. And it made me feel massive amounts of compassion for Laura and what she has to go through as well. So it really started, compassion was the key word on mm. that. But really the big, the big thing for me in that situation was for once in my life, taking myself out of being a victim. But for me, that was that, you know, and I talked about it the next day, it was incredible. I was like, wow, that was amazing. But for me in my head, all oh, right, that's that sorted out. You know, it's all done, that's ironed out. And all the time subconsciously, I'm avoiding the one thing that needed to be done. And it's the intimate trauma I needed to go back and deal with. But anyway, the next night I went in, I thought, oh, where are we going tonight? You know, there's a load of doors down that corridor. Where are we going? Oh, it's exciting. Yeah. So anyway, went down that night and then one of the doors opened and there I am heading back to the circus. Oh, no, you're not. I'm like, my fingers are on the wall, like on a chalk wall, scraping as we're going down. I'm thinking, no, no, I'm not. I know what's happening. Surrender. I know, what's, I know where surrender, we're going. Ollie. Yeah, surrender. And it's like, I know where I'm going. I know what's going to happen. And I became a 10-year-old boy again. And this time... Again, that fear, you know, I was at the point where the, the chimp was roaring. I know I didn't become the chimp. I was me. I stayed in me. And then this chimp came and attacked me. And again, it was like the horror I'd always managed to, that actual feeling, that emotion, I managed to sort of scrub out my memory. I was revisiting that for the first time since I was 10. And it was horrendous. See, I'd always seen that as me just having a bit of a scrap with the chimp. and the mm. You know what I mean? As you do. But this is like, I felt the horror, the absolute, I was screaming, you know, and this chimp was coming at me, attacked me. I was losing my life. I can remember, you know, my life was flashing in front of me, especially when the chimp started biting me, biting chunks out of me and stuff like that. And then it's almost like, you know, that the chimp was on top of me. It was, it was hideous, absolutely hideous. So you're I'm reliving it right I'm reliving it, yeah. And I'm screaming, you know, I'm screaming at the top of my voice of my life. And then it almost, it stopped. It almost stopped. I'm just whack, stopped. And a voice in my head went, what would have happened if you'd never fought back? So I went into that concept of not fighting back and I lay there and I died. You died when you're on Arawashka? I died, yeah. You don't, I didn't physically No, die. I know, but like, But yeah, I lay down, in your everything mind. stopped, everything became peaceful again. And I just opened my eyes and I was looking straight at my wife's eyes, her beautiful blue eyes. And I looked at her and I stroked her face and I said, don't worry, just come with me. And we went into the spirit world. We were no longer a physical body. We're in this open expanse of this, just this beautiful place of sound. The sounds were just phenomenal. It was just this such peaceful. The feeling was just amazing. I was no longer sort of with my wife as such. It was just part of, I was just spirit. You can't explain it. You cannot explain it unless you've, you've done been there. a pretty good job of it. 
And anyway, I was in there. I was like thinking, I don't want to go back. This is me. I want to stay here forever. That's what people say when they yeah. when they pass over and if they, they die on the operating table. They yeah. often say that they don't want to. They yeah. don't want to come back. It was incredible. It was incredible, and that desire just to stay there was just unbelievable. But then again, I hear this voice saying, "It's not your time. People need you." So then I came back into the physical body, and then the whole thing ended, and it was a big reflection. <laughs> But the thing for me, although, I mean, I can remember I actually got up out of that and I was like, my God, I went to the, um, you know, the people that run the place and all the shape and I was like, I've seen it. And they were like, mm, I know where he's been. And I said, I'm going, I'm going. I went up to my room and I just scribbling for ages on a pad, all stuff. You know, things, when I look back at that pad, it was like, pain. one of the main things that really I talk about a lot now is pain screams the loudest when it's dying. Oh, it's deep. Yeah. You know, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to anything, it's the pain that screams the loudest at that point of you manage to pull away and get away from it. And this really typifies breakpoint. It's that real discomfort at the moment of extracting yourself from that situation that becomes, it's the hardest. It's like you imagine a relationship with a partner you've been mm. with forever. You know, it comes to that moment where you're splitting up, not all the time, but a lot of the time, the pain of that, you know, and so it's so easy just to go, oh, let's just put a Band-Aid on. Let's not do that yeah. and just pretend everything's, but you don't result, you end up back in that situation time and time and time again. But pain screams the loudest when it's dying, but you've got to understand instead of focusing on the pain, you focus on the birth of something new. When you are starting something new, mm. like you go through a process, you went through a process of starting Breakpoint, didn't yeah. you? You had a clock. Yeah. Do you want to talk us through? That for me, when I came back and I talk about this in my presentations I did last night and it's, you know, the, the fact of the matter is, you know, how you have to disengage from the, from the internal messaging that's going on up here. Now, me coming back to the UK, I'd already jumped massive leaps and bounds from where I was, you know, from thinking suicidal thoughts, being on that path of self-destruction, smoking, drugs, everything. I'd come leaps and bounds and that is really for me, I'd like, wow, if I can do that, going from absolute loser to where I am now. It still was a far cry from where I am today, but I'd come so far. I thought, I want to be able to teach people this. I want to be able to use my knowledge and education to, to really help people. So when I came back to the UK, it was like, well, you want to start this company to create a globally identified brand recognized for the positive growth and development of others. You imagine what my head's saying. You know, I was still drinking. I was, I was managed to, you know, I was still drinking, but I was managed to, to abstain from it in the week. But my head is going, look at the state of you. You can't help anyone. You're an absolute loser. All these messages going round and round and round and round all the time. You think you've got this thousand person audience that's critiquing you. There's no one there. It's all in your head. So you have to really try hard to break away from that internal messaging, positive affirmations, all kinds of stuff. But for me, I knew that that's why I locked myself away in that house. I knew I needed to make those changes. I needed no distractions from the external world. And I had to really focus on me. There was no one else that mattered more in that moment. Mm. So for me, you know, how am I going to do that? You know, I've got this big goal and we've got to have big goals. There's three types of goals in this world, A-type goals. You know you can do them. So it's like me saying, next week I'm going to run 100 meters. I know I can do that. Yeah. That's the ego's language. That's the language that knows that you're not going to fail. It won't be insulted. It won't, be, it, it won't look like a failure. Right. So that's why we, a lot of people embrace things they know they can do. B-type goals is where you know with a bit of structure and planning you can achieve it. C-type goals is pure fantasy. 
Now, a lot of people say, well, you should go for B-type goals. It's not. It's C-type goals. You should always aim for C-type goals. But the problem is your mind can't see the path to completing that goal, to achieving the goal. And when it can't see the path, it disengages from it. It says it can't be done. You know, it needs that confirmation. It needs that That's safety. That's right, man. Like you have that fantasy goal and you're like, mm. I, I feel like I could do it once yeah. I'm there. Yeah. But it's like how you get to that point. Yeah. Feels like such a fuck. Exactly. And then you've got way. everyone else saying, oh, how are you going to do that then? Yeah. Everyone else is loading on their self, their own self-doubt onto you. Or even when you're doing it, you're like, how's that going yeah. for you? Oh, yeah, yeah, no, it's going great. It's going great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's smashing. It's brilliant. Smashing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So glad yeah. I did that. And you're thinking, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, God. I'm going to have to update my LinkedIn soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But that's, that's the thing. And you've got, you've got to really work hard on that. You know, it's like... So for me, that was a case of, you know, my C-type goal was breakpoint. You know, now you use B-type goals, structure and planning to support the C-type goal. So I drew that clock. I had a CD. I have to ask people if they know what a CD is. <laughs> I drew around it. I drew a clock hands all the way through that, that round circle. Like it was clock face. 12 clock position put breakpoint. And on every marker, or every number all the way around was everything I needed to do in a 12-month period to achieve breakpoint. The first three months for me, this is even before the TV show came out. The first three months for, for me was stop drinking or manage my drinking, get my finances in check, sort out my mindset, get my mental health to a good standard. For the first three months, so from one o'clock, two o'clock or three o'clock were all about me building that discipline process every day. So everything was just about building the foundation of who I was, making sure the root structure was strong enough to take on the goal of of starting my company breakpoint helping other people so it wasn't necessarily about the goal but a lot of people they start attempting their goals when they haven't sorted out who they are you know the first thing you should focus on is who you are is my strong is my foundation strong have i got a good root system you know if the wind blows am i just going to topple over so you've got to really make sure you come from a strong foundation you know a lot of people are focusing on the idea of what they want you know it's got to be oh i've got to think of an idea to be successful the only thing you need to focus on is you, because once you get yourself sorted out, the idea is going to come to you. You know, they've got it the wrong way around. They come up with the material aspect of it. You know, I want, I want, you know, I've got to come up with the idea. They spend much, so much time on that. Forget the idea. Focus on you and the idea will come at some point. And that's the most important thing. So that was really for me, you know, even before I started going on the fact about building websites, all this kind of thing. I was the focus. Mm. And that was the first three months in that house. Visualization, goal setting, every day was the same process. You know, my visualization was, was me and Foxy on stage, you know, doing a corporate gig in front of loads of people, helping them, you know, talking about our experiences. Again, this is pre This is pre-TV show. show. And I did mm. that every day, every day. You know, I got to the end of that and my family basically had an intervention one night. Matt, come around for dinner. And I was like, hmm. I got around there and pretty much my whole family's there. Oh, God. And it's like, Matt, you know. How old are you at this stage? 40. What was that? That would have been. 41. 41. Yeah. Oh, God. 43, I think I was. How's your ego? Yeah, well, pretty smashed anyway. So, you know. Yeah. Um, so you're around your parents for dinner? Yeah. And it's it was like, you know, maybe the break point, you know, there's a lot of people doing that. And, you know, they didn't really understand what I was trying to do. You know, there's a lot of people doing that. And, you know, you guys make loads of money in war zones. Maybe you should go away, go back to war, earn some decent money, come back and then build your idea as you, you're earning money. Da, 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 da. And mm. I was like sitting there going, I can't go back to a war zone. I was so grateful that I'd managed to come out of a war zone for a start and, and have all my arms and legs. Anyway, which was a, an absolute bonus. 
And um, even if you came out of a war zone without one of your arms and legs, you don't have insurance. No, no insurances, no nothing. Yeah. You know, lads out there got blown up and all sorts and, you know, and then, you know, their families, you know. It's a crazy, a crazy place to be that was. And that's why I call it fool's gold. No one would pay me to go back to that. Mm. You know, I just knew that I had this passion, this dream. There's something was calling me to achieve this. And I was so passionate about that that I just went, nah, I'm sticking with it. But the thing is that seed of self-doubt, you know, when it's people that are close to you, they're not trying to stop you from achieving your dreams. They're trying to help you and that, stop you from failing. That's the hardest thing, mm. though. Like, it's okay if someone said, like, if someone throws doubt at you yeah. that you don't know or you can't or you, you kind yeah. of that like, you know their agenda but when it's your close family mm. that, that's that's when you that, start to th- actually doubt yourself and yeah. think shit maybe I am barking mm. up the wrong well you're going to yeah. listen to them the people that love you you love them they, you, you're going to listen to them the most you know what I mean and like I say you know nine times out of ten and it's not always the case but nine times out of ten it's not the fact that they don't want you to do what you, you're dreaming of they just don't want you to fail mm. and trying to protect you yeah but the thing is, it can be the most damaging because you listen the most. So for me, it was like I walked away from there and it did start a little bit of self-doubt, you know. But, you know, I had to really work hard on that, you know. No, carry on your path, do what you're doing. But the fact of the matter was, I was living in a house. It was one of my family's houses that luckily became available at the time. But I had no money. You know, it was coming to a, to a grinding halt. Nothing was happening. And I was actually sitting there. I can actually remember going... For fuck's sake, give me something. <laughs> yeah. Just give me something. Just a little something. Mate, I feel like I'm right there at the moment. Yeah. Like I know exactly what you're, yeah, 100%. Just give me something. Yeah. Two days later, I get the phone call from Foxy. You know that idea? Would you consider doing that on TV? I'm like that. Fuck off, Foxy. Really? Yeah, is this a bite? You know, are you down the pub? Do you want me to come down the pub? Is that what you're doing? And it wasn't. You know, I can remember every time I talk about it, the, the hairs on the back of my head stand up. I've been visualizing every day about me, Foxy, me and Foxy being on the stage. The stage that got delivered, and I do believe it's because I was so intense doing this visualization over that time. The stage that got delivered was TV. And there's no better stage than that. You know, and for me, TV's always been the sideshow. You know, it's about my business. But what a platform. You know, that delivered to me not one show, but six series over mm. six, seven years. And now I'm in Australia filming as well. It's been absolutely incredible. I'm so humbled to be part of that. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you ever get people coming up to you or just having a chat to you about like saying, oh, I could, I could fucking smash that. I could smash that course. Everyone does that, don't they? Yeah. yeah. So, when they're watching on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I say the Red to- Wine Warriors. <laughs> I say yeah, I do that. <laughs> 
I say that to Jackie all the time, especially yeah. if lines are up because her old man was in the military yeah. as well. But yeah. I say that all the time. Oh, that's easy. Like, yeah, I do that. that. The only thing I struggle with is here I am. Look at look yeah, at yeah, yeah, look, <laughs> mate. The thing I couldn't I couldn't do is that the God <laughs> uh, is the lack of sleep would kill me. And the f- and the lack of food would you know what I just I'm a different person. That is you just hit it on the nail on the head because that is the thing that really kills you. You know everyone can sit there in the comfort of their homes and yeah. go, I could do that, and you probably could absolutely in its singular entity. Yeah. But you had the sleep deprivation, you had the hunger, you had the anxiety of not knowing what's happening. Surrender again, right? Everyone that comes on there, you've got to drop the ego, you've got to surrender control to the DS. Some yeah. people can't do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that factor, everything of that creates something very different up here. Mm. You know, for the first time in a lot of people's lives, they've never had that. You know, this day and age, if we're hungry, we can go straight into a, you know, there's a prep, whatever there is. It's a few steps away. Whatever you want, you can get. Whatever you want, you can get. You know, it, it rains. You can go and, you know, whatever. Everything's on tap isn't it yeah everything so once that's taken away you know and a lot of people you a lot of people that come in you can't have your protein shake at a certain hour you can't have this <laughs> you know you can't have certain foods you're giving what you're given and then you've got the clash of everyone on that course together you know and that's that's reality it's yeah it's such a different ball game once you add in everything mm, like yeah and, and also like if you were starving and you were exhausted and you did one of those mm. false endings that you guys do in the special forces yeah. and you do it on the show sometimes as well yeah where it's like, okay guys get in the truck after yeah. you've climbed a mountain and the truck drives, truck drives off, off and you're like oh my god that would break me <laughs> that would fucking break me i love i'll be hungry i'll be yeah, yeah take my armband that's why they're designed that way apologies for the interruption we'll be back with ollie in just a moment but coming up next week is the harrowing but heartwarming story of Freya Lewis who in 2017 miraculously survived the Manchester Arena bombing I briefly saw someone in the centre of the foyer who I thought looked a bit strange but I didn't really think anything of it when I say it was a quick glance it was literally just a fraction that I just happened to look up and scan the room and I didn't even think twice. Mm. Then she came back and I asked her whether she was ready. And she said, yep. So we went walking in his direction out of the foyer to go towards the bridge. And she turned to me and was like, that was the best night of my entire life. The pride that I felt that I'd managed to make her feel that way was insane. So I was like, I love you so much. And she said, I love you too. And then I pressed send to the text on my dad and that's literally the exact moment where everything went wrong that's coming up next week let's get back to ollie ollerton i heard a story i don't know if it's in mainstream media or not but mm. i heard it from somewhere like sam burgess was on there right yeah was so there's the oh i know was, what you're gonna say was there something where he was like where he took it <laughs> where, where, where he took like a hostage situation and just went full noise on it and you guys yeah, were like yeah. holy shit yeah but it wasn't us it wasn't it wasn't i think they made out it was the ds but basically uh, we went through there was a bit of an interrogation phase and they were being transited from one location to the next and so we had a guard force come in to do that for us so anyway we're off somewhere else you know we, we've gone back you know because it's now we're handing over to the interrogators and stuff and we get this <laughs> we get this message that sam burgess has taken over the vehicle <laughs> <laughs> and he's driving this freedom bus to nowhere. <laughs> We're like, what? You are shitting me. And yeah, no, it really happened, Jerry. I think they had someone around the neck, the driver around the neck, and oh, he's, 
It was <laughs> brilliant. Where are you going? What? So how did they resolve that? I don't know. I think they had to, you know, at the end of the day, they had to bring up just everyone just sit back and I don't know the full story, but, you know, they had to just resolve it by saying, you know. That's outstanding. Pull your heads in. Because there was another one, another guy that tried to do a rescue. Yeah, that was it. <laughs> That was on the first one. Yeah. The yeah. blue-fisted dwarf, as Foxy called him. That's right. Yeah, that that was funny. And he turned yeah. up and he had that. He had a what? fence picket. He put on a set of blue, like gloves on the um, you know, fireproof gloves. He had a set of leggings on and a and a, and a camouflage jacket and a head torch. And so, so he <laughs> one breaks man rescue. A, so he breaks away from where he's supposed to be. Yeah. So Candice if, was basically in there, so we had one we'd held back from when we did the sort of attack. So she didn't make it out on time, so we grabbed her. And next minute, we can hear on the radios the saying to us, there's someone skirting around the outside of the building, and we're like, what's going on here? Thinking there was going to be like a few people come bursting through the door for a rescue attempt. And what we saw was nothing short of amazing, really. It was like phenomenal that, you know, Faraz, dressed in what he was dressed in, (laughs) came bursting through the door, nearly poked me with the fence picket, so I flashed up big time and Foxy was like, what are you, some kind of blue fisted <laughs> midget coming for the rescue? And it was like, it was just a hilarious moment. It was just, oh, looking back. Yeah, I so haven't, funny. I, I can't say, I haven't watched the series because it's because uh, I'm in the UK, but I watched, yeah. the, watched the clip of that, the YouTube clip. Uh, yeah, it was fucking funny. Foxy, hilarious. both of you guys arcing up at this poor guy. <laughs> Oh my days! Is there anybody any celebrities that have surprised you on the, one of those courses? Yeah, I mean that you get we get surprised by so many of them. I mean, Lana Pittman, she was quite incredible. Lana was a former gold medalist. Hmm. Yeah, the strength she had as a you know she was a mother, she's now a doctor was was quite incredible. It was it was just amazing. It's just, but really, you know, it doesn't surprise me. It's not like oh, I'm so amazed at what these people do. Because all they're doing is going back, connecting back with the true power of who they are. Mm. If they can bash through all that programming, that that construct of limitation that they've built over a period of time, you know, if they can push through that, they find that inner power. Everyone's got it. It's not certain individuals. Everyone's got it. It's Do just, you really think that, though? Yeah, 100%. 100%. Because if you put someone in a survival situation, right, I don't care who you are, there's no stronger driving force than the survival instinct fact now it might take people a bit more pressure to get there than others but at the end of the day you're not just going to lay down and die not just going to sit there and just die Mm. i'd say a very small minority of people would do that there's a fight left in them and i real you know it's it's that sort of survival instinct that you're looking to tap into you know the true essence and the true power of who we are because it's what you guys do with breakpoint as well isn't it I guess there's probably methods that you use that you're like, okay, this will mm. this will tap into them, and if that doesn't work, I'll tap into this level where I tap yeah. into them, and then this, yeah. and then I'll tap into level three, and I'll tap into them. Yeah. Is that kind of how you guys? Operate? Yeah, we do. I mean, listen, I think I always think, and that's why we do our physical events. But the thing is, a lot of time people can't do a physical event. You know, the the fact of the matter is, people can't break through those preconceived limitations just by thinking themselves out of it. You can't have a greatly negative thought and just think yourself out of that thought. Mm. You have to take action. You have to add action. You have to make the desire to break away from that old habit more powerful than the habit itself. You know, that's why our physical events are so, you know, because we're basically, there's no better biohack, if you want to call it that, short, you know, short, sharp hack than a physical limitation that you've pushed through. 
You know, when people at their lowest ebb, you know, when they're really being pushed, your mind is going to give up way before your body. And if you can really contradict that in those moments, you know, when your body's like, oh, give in and you can push through and get to that next level, that then starts to build the resilience. Mm. You know, and the more we can do that, the more we tap into that true power. We've got an event we call Denied. And that is, a, I call it a horrible event because it is, it pushes you to that limit. It really pushes you. 36 hours, you get all that stuff we talked about. Sleep deprivation, hunger, everything. You have to surrender. And really, we get people to force that through, to push them through. And a lot of the time, people will want to give in. You know, And, and the reason we call it denied is for a number of reasons. But one of them is, once that you throw in the towel, you are denied the opportunity to go back on that course. So really, it's all about, exactly as Special Forces Selection is, it's all about self-motivation. On Selection, it's very different to the show. There's no one telling you, giving you a pat on the back. There's no one telling you, you know, shouting at you or anything. It's all Mm self-motivation. You've got to do it because you have desire to want to do it. You know, it has to be all about you. How much can you really dig into that in two days, though? There's people that will go the duration. For us on Denied, you know, only 50% 50 of people pass that course. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought, oh, I was just assuming like you go there for two days. You just it's, a, no. it's almost a two day boot camp to whack everyone into order. No, but people not, actually get kicked off it. Yeah, yeah, no. A lot of people withdraw, but some people, if they're not making the grade, just like the TV show, we call them. Really, you know, sorry, and a lot, but you know, they want to come back. You know, the whole thing we denied is the fact that you're given a number, and you get a T-shirt. You're given the number. If you pass the course, you keep the T-shirt. You have that number. No one else can ever take that number. So there's a lot of people that fail the course. They then come back and they want to have another go. We hold the number for 12 months and then they come back and to have another attempt at that number. But really, it's just it's not a case of you just turn up and you just have to endure, you know, the hardship. It's not just about being there. It's about performing. No, because that's special forces selection. It's special forces selection is where they absolutely rinse you to your lowest ebb. And then when you are at that lowest ebb, thinking you've got nothing else to give, they come up and say, right, give me everything you've got. And it's finding that inner strength and inner power. That's what they're looking for. Yeah, not for me. <laughs> <laughs> so you're making your clock and you're, yeah. you're up to three. Yeah, you get up the to call, three. You get the call from Foxy. Yeah. All of a sudden, you're probably needing a 24-hour clock, aren't you? Because mm. you, all of a sudden, you've probably ticked off a lot of goals quite quickly, yeah. you, I'm assuming. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, there was still hard work to be done. You know, the misconception is, that, oh, well, I'm going to start, you know, we're going to be on TV. And I thought, well, it's going to be like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. It wasn't. It's really hard. And the re- I've, I've analysed this a lot, you know, doing our events and stuff like Back then, it was just more about doing the public events. We weren't ready for the corporates. We had to really test what we were doing. But as soon as you get, you know, your quarter of a million Instagram followers, y- your job is easier to build a business, surely, after that. Yeah. But, you know, the problem, let me tell you exactly the problem. People. Remember before we talked about A-type goals, B-type goals, C-type goals? Yeah. Doing a course with us is not an A-type goal. It's not really a B-type goal. It's the unknown. And there is a chance of failure. People don't like that. Your ego doesn't like that. No. And that is why everyone does the Tough Mudders. You know, they do all those events because yeah. they know there's so many people that have done it before. You do They it, know you... there's an absolute good... Unless you do something really yeah. wrong, you're not going to fail. You do the London Marathon because you know you can walk it if you have to. Yeah, exactly. Although, well done to people that do it. It's still bloody hard. 100%, yeah. But the thing is, that is that when you create something where it's unknown, the outcome is unknown, that takes courage. Courage is the ability to, to throw yourself into any situation without a guarantee of a successful outcome. And we don't offer that. So it's a really uh-huh. small niche amount of people 
that actually do the events, especially when it comes to denied, you know. But the thing is, it's the it's perception, you know. A lot of people tried to tell me when I first started this business that you need to change the name. I like change the name, Breakpoint, Special Forces Breakpoint. What does that create in your head? It sounds like that you're going to take us to the limit where we're broken. Exactly, and it's not that. It's hundred percent not that. Breakpoint is about an opportunity, and it's about that moment where you get to. It's like you are with. With the business, you know, you start to look at all the things that could go wrong. You're looking at things that's not comfortable at the moment. What you've done previously is a lot more comfortable. Mm. You know it. You know, you know exactly the structure of it. You know the you know the discomfort of it as well as the comfort of it. Mm. And the discomfort isn't really there. It's pulling. It's asking you to come back. And it's really that moment of opportunity. They've got this thing. Have you ever seen the film called Think and Grow Rich? No. Sounds good, though. <laughs> yeah, Think and Grow Rich is a film based on the book by Napoleon Hill, right. which is a lot of a lot of stuff I tap into. You're big on your neuroscience and stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, but yeah. taught by a guy called Bob Proctor, who we recently lost. Humanity lost. He was such an, an amazing guy, but I think he was about 84 years old by the time he passed. But his teachings were all about the teachings of Think and Grow Rich. It was one of the most successful books in the world, you know, by Napoleon Hill. And it's really tapping into that energy of who we are. So that book is underpins everything Bob Proctor's done. I'm actually I've actually trained now, paid a great deal of money as well, as a Bob Proctor consultant. You are, yeah. Right. I just I just got my certification two weeks ago. So what does that mean? You can do that. Basically means that I can use his platform, all of his teachings. At the end of the day, Bob Proctor didn't invent all the stuff he teaches. Right. He's just passing on knowledge, and it's basically he calls it the laws of this thirteen laws of the universe of success. So, you know, the book is highly informative and his teachings basically draw from all that knowledge. There's a load of courses. There's the Thinking to Results program that I can then basically host. Our team here at Breakpoint can host where businesses, individuals, anyone can come aboard and we basically guide them through that whole process as a year-long year course, basically. When you talk about knowing yourself mm. and like really understanding who you are, mm. and that's the thing that a lot of people, successful people have in yeah. common, you were 40, what, when when you actually like worked your shit out? 43. But before then, you may not have even known you didn't know yourself. You probably no. thought you did. Yeah. And you probably just thought, oh, this is my lot. Yeah. But how do people know or mm. how do people work out, go from like, you know, they might be just cruising along. So yeah. let's say I'm cruising along. Yeah. I think I know myself. I'm 38. Yeah. I probably do. I might, mm. I might not. Yeah. But how do you even work out that you don't know yourself? Or like, how do you... Is there a process that you can go through to try and identify or improve yourself it, in that? It comes down to purpose, understanding yeah. your purpose in life because people will go through life without actually understanding they who they are and be what their purpose is. You know what I mean? There's so many people out there that they spend so much time investigating a celebrity, for instance. Mm. You know what I mean? They know everything about that person. You know what I mean? They read all the books, da, 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 buy their autobiography and they spend no time whatsoever understanding who they are. We don't. It's just not a natural thing to do. Mm. So really, for me, it's about understanding purpose. I believe that you now, Andy, are at the perfect age when you've started to question what you're doing. Mm. You know, you've started to think, I want to do something that's not just average is winning. I want to do something that really strikes a passion in me. And, and that is why you're at that point in your life now. So when you're on break point, do you find that people start the weekend not knowing and then maybe by the end of it, you hope that they, they do? Is that part of the purpose? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's, it's you can't just expect to come to a weekend event 
and then go home. Yeah, like, I wouldn't have thought you, you could. Know, like yeah. you've had this true awakening. You know, it takes it, t- it takes work. But the thing is, is start to break outside the 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 programming. And that is what we get people to do. You know, some people, like a lot of people come to our stuff and it's not, you know, massively physical. A lot of the breakpoint stuff we've done in the past. But, you know, for instance, like sliding down a rope from a tower or stuff like that. So many people, I can't do that. I can't do it. And it's breaking that program of I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I can't just mean it's really you can, but you choose not to. <laughs> That's what we say when we're at the top of the tower anyway, getting them down. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's simply that, you know, that once, you know, the last thing I would want, if someone were to come to our event, for instance, you know, our physical events that we used to do, stand at the top of the tower, say, I can't do that, and leave that day going, I, I can't do that. Because we haven't got any, anywhere if we've done that. They haven't got anywhere. They're still caught in that repeat process of who they are. But mm-hmm. once that person goes, smash it, we manage to get them through that, I can't, to I can, they do the physical activity, that changes everything it's not about that event that changes everything in mm. their life they start to think well if i can do that maybe i can do that and that just opens once they have that mentality that everything i've been taught everything i've been programmed to believe is not necessarily true you know they believe in neuroplasticity with it, which is, means we can change the brain the way that we think we're not set in stone that was a big thing for me mm. you know i mean once i realized you know there's all that old and it's so corrosive all this old language yeah. leopard never changes his spots and all this shit that we've been belt fed and this is the same for a lot of people when it comes to negative habits and things like that you know i always say this first step is the strongest and most powerful thing and that's awareness you know it's like for people you know i get a lot of people and i've guided helped a lot of people stop drinking not loads of people, but, you know, there's been quite a few people on Instagram on drinking too, and I tell mm. them, you know, this is what we've got to do, blah, blah, blah. But really, I say to them, you have just made the biggest step and the awareness of it, because if you're absolutely unconscious to the problem, how can you expect to mm. deal with anything? It's like, and that's why also failure, as I said before in, the, in this podcast, that is, is the biggest weapon we've got, most powerful weapon we've got. But the thing is, everyone's trying to fake perfection, it's almost like if you can't expose your weaknesses, how can you ever expect to improve? If you're trying to just create this perception of perfection, mm. faking perfection, you're never going to get anywhere because you're kidding yourself. It's like having a thief in your house and you've locked him inside and you never expose him. <laughs> he's always going to be stealing from you yeah, yeah, and you're just going to let him do it. Yeah, You know what I mean? That's the same with your opportunities in life. Unless you actually expose your weaknesses, you're never going to achieve anything. You look at school. School is absolutely terrible for that elitism. Come mm. first in your exams, come first on the sports field. Everything is about coming first. But you don't want to be giving people medals for participation too much, do you? No, no. I, I, I think there's got to be a level. But there's, you know, humanity has strived and thrived and, and come to where it is through collaboration, not competition. You know what I mean? And the more we can learn that the power of collaboration, I love this analogy, but... You know, when you see two waves and they hit each other, everyone's seen that, they cancel mm. each other out. Mm. When you see two waves coming together and they join, they make one massive fucking wave and it's powerful. And oh, there it is. Yeah. There it is. So it's collaboration, you know, and a lot of companies I deal with, it's like, there's always an element of competition internally. That's healthy. That's good. Mm. But the level of competition, you've got to really understand that within the organization, collaboration is key over competition. Mm. competition for the outside world and the the other businesses but collaboration that is what we thrive from you know everything in the world at the moment is basically driven to divide us 
it's such a base from which the special forces operate though yeah. isn't it the collaboration yeah definitely definitely it's all about that collaboration it's not about but you've you know, got so much ego and like w- yeah. w- with an alpha males ego is one of the biggest issues and one thing i'll say is like you know learning you know t- starting to understand yourself is when you start to become in control of your emotions mm. you know a lot if you're not in control of your emotions you become an emotional victim and that basically means that we come subject to our emotions as opposed to being in control of them. And it's almost like when you come in control, and it can be fear, it can be anything, you know. Fear is important. People that say they're fearless are, you know, all those people that reckon they've got no fear. They're either dead or they're dying soon. Mm. One of the two. Fear is there for a reason. You know, aggression, everything. It's about being in control and understanding when that's happened. Ego, being able to see it before you react, being able to control it, and basically understand whether it's needed in that moment. And it's a very quick decision. You know, it's being that, ex- having that external view and being able to get control of your emotions. Yeah. You know, being the emotional controller as opposed to the victim of them. Yeah. You know, it's really strong. Once you start to understand your emotions, you're in the driving seat. Ant Middleton writes a good book about that with the fear bubble. Yeah. About, about that, which has got lots of little helpful tips in it yeah. as well. I found, I found that useful. I've not read it. He talks about the fear bubble being almost like isolating where the fear is. So, for example, when I was training mm. to do a triathlon and I was doing sprint work and yeah. trying to do mm. six, eight hundred meters back to back, yeah, and it scared the shit out of me when I was even lacing up my shoes because I knew yeah. I was going to go through to the hurt box. And it's like, well, that's not actually. I shouldn't be worried about that now. Yeah, and then you get to the. I should be worried about that when I'm doing it. Mm. And when I'm doing it, when I'm when I'm just starting to do it, I'm yeah. like, actually, I'm fine now. I'm, I'm, I'm I don't yeah. have anything to worry about until. Maybe like the last fifty meters when yeah. the lactic acids, the, yeah, yeah, I can yeah. taste the blood, and then the pain. Yeah, that's when I should worry about it. Yeah, and you can kind of really isolate things down, and then you start to use it. And it's yeah. like, well, is this fear or is it excitement? And then you kind of yeah. start using that energy. It's quite- exactly, but and you can also use that reframing. Mm. A lot of time, you turn that fear into excitement. You know what I mean? It's mm. just a case of reframing it. Have you ever been in um, a situation where you've you've been in a pub or something, and like SAS guys? Well, not SAS guys, but guys have gone in there like shouting off the big ones that they're in the special forces and they're not actually, and you've like caught them out. I've not actually caught them out, but Foxy tells an absolutely That's blinder why I of a story. Because yeah. I heard Foxy yeah, tell I love the story. the story. It's so funny. And it's, you know, that all the lads have just come back from Afghan. Everyone's in the pub and everything else. And then they look out the window and someone coming into the thing. He's got like his dress uniform on a hanger. He's got camouflage stuff on and everything comes in the pub for a pint. And then he's in the, and then the lads are just like drawn to him like a magnet. The special forces boys are. Yeah, the, the special forces lads are on leave at the time. Foxy yeah. was one of them. <laughs> he starts talking, saying, "Oh, mate, where where have you come from?" Then he's like, "Oh, forty. I'm in forty two commando and all this and blah blah blah." And, um, and then at one point, they, one of the lads said something about mentioned about the SBS or something like that. He said, "Are you in the SBS or something like that?" He says, "No." He says, "Apparently." If those boys in the pub, you wouldn't even know they were here. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, God, that situation must have been gold to be involved with. Oh, those boys must have lost it. Oh, mate, I don't know. I don't know how it ended for that chat, but they're they're everywhere. Guys, just saying that they're, they're everywhere. I just yeah. don't. I don't get it. I really yeah. don't get it. I mean, I've had people on my book signings and stuff. When I used to do my book tours you know, yeah. before COVID, who come up and go, "Can you just put in there?" Um, it was a pleasure serving with you. And I'm like, get out, fuck off. 
<laughs> really, you just yeah. found the fuck off. Yeah. But they must have been in the service for them to say that. Or, no, or no, not, not at necessarily. All. There's a lot of people out there that, you know, are just blagging it, absolutely blagging it. I just, I just don't, yeah, I'd hate to be them. I'd hate oh, to be them. Because they, you know what? The only person they're lying to is themselves. Oh, 100%. You know, the damage they're doing is not to the outside world. Yeah. It's to themselves. Subconsciously, they are massive fraud. You must think, though, at some point, they've had some success off spouting oh, that bullshit. Of course, to, mate. To be able to, you know, to want I, to keep backing it you up. You know what? I The thing I hate, and, you know, I've you rarely talk about it when you're in as well because you just got that attitude. You, you don't go out on the town going, oh, I'm this, that, and the other. But the odd occasion I have mentioned it, you know, to someone, you know, back in my hometown when I was a young lad when they'd just passed and I was really proud of what I'd mm. done. You know, people would be like, oh, if you were, you wouldn't be telling anyone. <laughs> you know, so then I get labelled as some bloody Walter Mitty. You know oh, what I mean? So I you just were thought, that guy. Yeah, so I end up being that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just like, just don't even bother. It's just like, you know, when people used to, I used to go out, you just say, oh, I'm you know, biscuit designer or yeah. dolphin trainer. Thanks very much for coming on the show, mate. Pleasure, mate. I really enjoyed it. Where can people go to find out more about Breakpoint? Well, we've just redesigned our website, so that's absolutely phenomenal now. Really starts to focus on what we offer. I think it's the first time we've actually defined that, and it's um, up on break-point.co.uk. ollieollerton.co.uk as well is my own personal website. And, yeah, just put me into Instagram, or you, you can't fail to find me. What is Breakpoint in a nutshell for someone? Why should they go to the website? Why should they email you? A disruptive change in habitual behavior in line with a predetermined goal. Jesus. There we go. There we go. <laughs> the road to success. Thanks, mate. Thanks, buddy.